0: Well, it's been a long time in coming, but it's finally time to bring you more Scarlet Fever. Sickness and spring break knocked out the last couple of weeks of the podcast, but Landon and I are back and ready to talk all of Husker sports with you today. Time to get into Husker men's hoops, how the postseason And off-season have developed over the last couple of weeks. We'll look at Husker women's basketball and the loss to Gonzaga. Then we'll take a little bit of time to talk softball and baseball. And what is going on with that Husker baseball team. We'll discuss that. And also, what's wrong with the Big Ten in the postseason for college hoops? Only three entrants in the last 18 bids for the Big Ten have made the Sweet 16. That's over the last two years. We'll discuss why and if it's something to be alarmed about. So that's all coming up next here on Scarlet Fever. Welcome back, folks, to Scarlet Fever. Again, It's uh, it's been a hiatus. It has been a hiatus, but we are back. Grant Hanson and Landon Wirt. Remember, folks, this is a DN podcast, so go give at DN Sports a follow and at DailyNEB on Twitter. You can look us up at dailynebraskan.com to look at all the other written coverage, Uh, The writers and folks over at the DN are putting out on Husker Athletics. This is part of that coverage, but this is audio coverage. Surprise. Uh, And uh, we've got a bunch of stuff to talk to you about today. So, at Landon Word on Twitter, at L-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-R-T. For me, it is at Hanson15 underscore Hanson. And, uh, well, it it has been some time. Uh, there's a lot that's happened. We usually start with best thing. I, honestly, it's like a two-week life like <laughs> debrief that's yeah. about to come down the pipes. For those of you listening for about 10 minutes, uh, you know I, I mentioned, of course, I think the last time that we did this show that the best thing that I had seen um, was was my high school making it at the state for the first time since 1923. Uh, I got to call both of their state games, including uh, their upset over. Number one, Wahoo. So that was pretty awesome. I think those are two of my better tapes, like just period, as a broadcaster. Got to do those. Um, So that was really, really fun. Got to put together a lot of different audio content um, for the town of Fort Calhoun and that community outside of that. And so that was, it was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I think I was sick the whole time. So it was a mess. Um, And then we got, um, I got a very much needed spring break went down to uh, uh Florida as uh as our, our flight attendant uh called it repeatedly uh he was he was so funny on the way down it's funny I was talking with uh with my my uncle when we were flying down there I was like you know I wonder like is like Is, like, being, like, a flight attendant a really good, like, stand-up comedy, like, testing ground, you know? Because you have a captive audience there. I would say so. You can kind of rip. And that's kind of what he was doing. Flight
1: attendants, you got to be funny. It makes it much more enjoyable when you're doing the whole, like, here's how you buckle your seatbelt.
0: Here's where
1: the bag is. If you like, like, that's good. He had jokes.
0: He had a ton. And the flight back did not. And so less Uh. fun. Um, but he was really good. He was actually he was pretty funny. So uh, that was fun. Got to spend a lot of time with family down there. Um, and so, like I said, much needed break. I feel much more re-energized. Uh, and and now we're here. And now we're we're doing podcasting again and best thing again. And so, Landon, what a, your your little your your debrief yeah. over the last two weeks? Because there's there's a lot that's happened.
1: Yeah, uh, I went to Arizona for spring break, which was really fun. It was a bummer. I was really looking forward to kicking off my spring break with doing some freelance coverage for the Kansas City Star of the Nebraska soccer game versus the KC NWSL, or not, they're not called that anymore. The Kansas City Current, the pro club I work for uh, in the summers, is a PR guy. Uh, that game got canceled, big sad, due to weather. Uh, but it gave me more time to pack and get my stuff ready for Arizona, which was super fun. Uh, we drove there and back, which was a little bit of a bear. We had uh, some car troubles on the way down. Oh boy. We got stopped. Uh, oil was leaking from my roommate's car so badly in our Colorado that we could not continue driving it. So that turned into a multi-hour hiatus um, in Denver, waiting to pick up a rental car, and it was a whole fiasco with getting it at the Denver airport. A mess. But we made it through. Um, We split the drive up into two days. We did 13 hours to Grand Junction on the way down, seven to Lake Havasu, Arizona, following uh the way back we did 13 to denver and then seven to lincoln but it was great i had a lot of a lot of great fun went with 10 or 11 of my friends it was nice to put work on the back burner we went out yeah. on a boat for a couple of days we did some cliff jumping we did some hiking uh we hung out our airbnb we stayed at had a pool in the backyard it wasn't heated which was a bummer we got to hang out by the pool watched a lot of basketball just totally decompressed. And then on the way back, it was kind of fun because we drove through Vegas. I saw the like actual physical strip for the first time. Uh, we took pictures at Allegiant Stadium, which is just awesome. Uh, and it was just really nice and super refreshing. So it was great. The weather was perfect. And seeing all the scenery, like the drive there, the drive back was cool. That area of the country is just so beautiful. That yes. Colorado, Arizona, Utah, like all that, is just incredible scenery. Arizona is awesome. I'd never been before. Um, great place. <laughs> definitely, I definitely want to make a return trip sooner rather than later because it's it's awesome. Um, and yeah, that's 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 basically so, all. So
0: you know, did you stop? Like this, okay, so here's the, so so our family, you know, when we usually. Um, and this is this is the one area where I'd say John Rothstein doesn't know what he's talking about at all. He has, you know, for those of you who don't know who he is, he's a CBS college basketball reporter. Uh, one of the leading reporters, I would say, in the country. At least one of the most active ones on Twitter. And so he has these, like, slogans and tweets that he tweets out, um, you know, periodically. And to me, like, sometimes they get annoying. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. One of the ones, though, that he tweets all the time is about people making, planning family vacations in March (laughs) and how that's bad. And I'm like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Because when we go on family vacations in March, it is like the best thing ever. We've been doing this, you know, in March, somewhere in that second or third week. uh, It's usually either the first weekend of the NCAA attorney or the second weekend. And um, that's just how it works out. It's not how we, you know, we don't pick it around that. Um, And we go down usually to Arizona. This year we went to Florida. Um, And... It's the best thing ever. I mean, yeah. it's like sitting outside in not freezing cold weather and and watching college basketball, and it, it's it's incredible. I so again, like that's why I'm like he doesn't he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. But one of the things uh, that I've always wanted to do is go see the Pawn Stars pawn shop. Uh, in yeah. Vegas. Did you guys do that?
1: No, we didn't. We didn't have time to like physically stop because we were just like we just want to get out on the road. But we did, I think, drove near it or by it because okay. I remember I have an image of it. It was also really early in the morning, which didn't help. It was like 7 30 uh, when we were driving through, so my brain was like not fully on. Uh but we did drive by a lot of that that cool stuff. I did I do think we drove past the the pawn stars shop because that is like right there close to the strip. So yeah, I, I think we did, but I mean it's just so like Vegas is just so overwhelming with like the amount of stuff like I with my eyes to like look at on the way. it was just it was crazy.
0: Well, and then so here's the other thing. So first world problem obviously here. but uh, one of the things that I also really enjoy about going to the West coast as opposed to the East Coast is the time of all the sporting events. Oh yeah, you start these things at like 10 o'clock. Uh, I think that's usually when the first NCAA 10, 30 something like that. Or maybe it's 11, depending on what time you go with the time zone and the time yeah. change. In the
1: morning? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, games were starting at, like, 9.15. Like, yeah. on St. Patrick's Day when we were on the boat, like, the Michigan-Colorado State game started at, like, 9.15. It was okay. awesome.
0: Yeah, and it's fantastic. That's what I love. So, like, I was sitting there this year and just thinking, like, on the East Coast, how do people, like, on the East Coast watch sports? I mean, it's like the last games were tipping at like 10 o'clock at night on a weeknight. Oh, on yeah. On a Thursday. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was... The
1: Colgate-Wisconsin game, like on Friday night, started at like 8 or 9
0: out west. And that's perfect. That's like, And so that's part of me where I was like, Arizona's awesome because, you know, you get that warmer weather. It's dry heat. I like dry heat better, yeah. personally, if I'm picking heats. Excuse me. <clears throat> uh, and, and again, you know, you get... Basically, arguably a full day of sports, yeah. which is fantastic. Like, the NFL games, and I've never been during the NFL season, but those, you know, kick off at, like, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Like, the opening, the noon round, I'm like, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. So...
1: Yeah, it's nice. As someone that's also spent a lot of time in Seattle, my grandparents live out there, have been seven, eight, seven or eight times, uh, watching sports out there is really fun during the NFL season because, yeah, games are starting at, like, 10. <laughs> they start at 10, and then they're done by, like, 5. It's The only thing that's weird is seeing, like, Sunday night football start at, like, 4. But yeah. other than that, like, yeah.
0: Yeah, It's it, so there you go. There, there's our, our thoughts on spring break vacations uh, and, and again, I don't know if you can tell, but I certainly feel a lot better, uh, a lot more ready to attack this last six weeks or so of, of the semester.
1: Yeah, no, I do too. I feel I feel great. And yeah, there's still lots lots to look forward to in the wide world of Husker Athletics and in college sports as well with this, yeah. with getting into crunch time and March and, Madness.
0: And before we look forward... Let's look back, shall we? Uh, and we'll, we'll start here with Nebraska women's basketball. They got Gonzaga in the opening round. Some people thought they were under at an 8, and based off of the ESPN projections, they were under at an 8. And unfortunately, they weren't able to pick off uh, the Bulldogs in that opening round, and so their season that was absolutely fantastic um, ended kind of with a thud. And they finished the year, you know, I believe, was it a record record? I'm trying to remember if that was. I think was... they were one shy. Okay.
1: W- win total, is that what you're thinking of? Uh,
0: I'm thinking so, but, I, I mean, not total win total because they had that year they won 30 games. Uh, but I think it might have been a record. I think it was certainly a record under Amy Williams, I think. Um, TBD. Yeah. But they they lose 68-55 to 55 to Gonzaga. Um, again, not the end of the year that Nebraska wanted. Uh But you retain a lot, a lot of really key pieces. The only, you know, the one senior on the team, Michael Caton, uh, she announced that she is entering the transfer portal um, today. So that, uh, today as we record this on Wednesday. Uh, So that is really probably going to be your sole departure on this team. Yeah. Um, We'll see, uh, we'll wait to see on Sam Hybe. That's one that, you know, she was announced um at, at senior day i believe she is listed as a Yeah, she was announced at senior day she's a junior so she would be a fifth year senior without a red shirt right uh so that is that's one name you're looking at and also who does nebraska bring in, in the transfer portal uh you could see some action there uh for the for the women's team as we come uh into the off season but again it's a piece that they've got a lot of young pieces allison widener Um, With the departure of Ashley Scoggin, Allison Widener was doing a lot more than she normally would have been or was projected to do as a freshman. So you're going to see some growth, I think, from her going into next year. It's important to remember Jazz Shelley is only a sophomore this year. Uh, So she will be back, of course, uh, this next season. And then, uh, of course, Alexis Markowski. And so there's going to be a lot of really, really big pieces that are going to return to this team a year from now. And I think they will learn a lot. Um, from the way this whole season is gone, and especially the way they finished.
1: Yeah, and and let's not forget too, we had <laughs> we had Scotty Spitazola on a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago before spring break that <sighs> the lost podcast of Scarlet Fever, and, uh, yeah, forever known as. Uh, so we didn't really get to talk much about the Big Ten tournament either, but let's not forget that. I mean the yep. Amy Williams crew put on an impressive display there, and it makes you wonder with Nebraska receiving an eight seed for the tournament, like what would have happened if it would have, like, not won its first—heaven forbid, not won its first game at the tournament. Like, right. That—some interesting developments could have occurred there because of where that seeding was. But uh, in terms of that, the Women's Tournament Seeding Committee kind of got some flack for— there were some very odd um, seed um, discrepancies there. Princeton was a ranked team. Uh, they, were, they received an 11 seed by the committee. Mm. Um, Florida Gulf Coast, likewise, was ranked, uh, received a 12 seed. Um, so yeah, you can argue that Nebraska was probably a bit under-seeded, but you know, in my my ultimate take is I kind of think that the last month or so, give or take, for this team has been a little draining, uh, with the Ashley Scoggin news, and then you know, sort of rallying around that to put together some big wins, and then go on a run in the Big Ten tournament. I think that there's just. I think they might have just had an instance where it ran out of gas a little bit. I mean, you kind of see it in the offensive output, I don't know, off the top of my head, but 55 points has to be one of, if not the lowest like just total scoring output for Nebraska this year. Uh, It picked a really bad time to have one of its worst offensive performances of the season, but such is life in a tournament setting. Uh, It really is a bummer because you hold Gonzaga to 29% from three, but you just shoot 32% from the field. You're not going to win many games doing that. Uh, And also, you're not going to win many games shooting 58% of the free throw line. But yeah. uh, and So, I mean, you can just kind of argue that just a little. The tank was a little bit too empty, but you do learn a ton from this year. You know, getting to the tournament is kind of half the battle. Um, from there, you get the experience of what that, you know, one-day preparation is like when, you know, on a different stage, all of it, everything is on the line. And you return a good bit. Uh, The thing is, I mean, much like we'll talk about with the men, the fourth-year junior um, thing. Sam Hybe will be a big key piece to watch. Uh, You know, for Nebraska's sake, you know, you'd hope that she comes back. Uh, you know, the backcourt is going to be still really, really strong uh, with Hybe and Shelly leading that charge, as well as Widener as she continues to develop uh, with an offseason under her belt. Of course, anytime you can return the Big Ten Freshman of the Year and Alexis Markowski, you know, the pieces are there for this team to put a similar or better season together um, next year. And, you know, it does also speak volumes in another, like, absolute role reversal from the men the big 10 are killing it in the uh women's bracket um there i think four teams in the sweet 16 you've got indiana michigan um both teams nebraska beat (laughs) maryland and ohio state all teams in the sweet 16 so Mm. the big 10 is really showing out uh, on the women's side um Most definitely, and yeah, Ohio State's a team Nebraska had trouble with, and it also lost to Maryland too.
0: And then, oddly enough, on the flip side of that, you have Iowa who gets beat by Creighton, uh, which justice. Uh, (laughs) But uh, that was a really, again, it's interesting too. This is another. That was a great game, and and it was. was. It was a fantastic game and a fantastic finish and and a fantastic story in and of itself. It, It was interesting to me, I think. You know, to sort of consider. Uh, some of the questions that got brought up in terms of officiating afterwards, especially from the Iowa side. And I, I, I think there it spawned a sort of debate where, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit later with the men's team, uh, men's side of, of Big Ten basketball, where people think that they were talking that the Big Ten, part of the reason the Big Ten struggles in the postseason, outside of the conference, is that because the game is officiated differently within the Big Ten <laughs> than nationally yeah. at large. And, <laughs> yes, and it is. And sort of that is true. Um you know I, I but at the same time, like I feel like we are in a position where officiating as a whole within college athletics and within basketball specifically is in a really bad spot. Um, and, and again, I, I think it's interesting too because it's not like, you know, especially with some of the men's games, there's a lot of you know, North Carolina Baylor, uh, Arizona TCU this last week, there's a lot of talk on the inter- interwebs. Uh, about officiating and, and I don't think in any of these games officiating was something that couldn't have be couldn't have been overcome. You know, I, I think every team could have won in spite of the officiating. But it was bad and it did have an effect on the game. And and so, you know, how do you figure that out? That's something everyone's gonna have to to reckon with. And for Iowa, to you know, kind of tie things back in, you know, Iowa just didn't get the fouls that they usually get. And you know, look, I, I think I think the way Iowa got the, like, I am so anti-flopping, it's insane. Like, you know, I I think it's just dishonest is my my issue with flopping. Um, it is not sportsmanlike. Um, it does not, it, it doesn't honor the game really at all. And so, Iowa does it a lot, but they're not the only ones. There are plenty of teams that do it. I think pretty much every team does it at a certain point, and it's because I think at a certain level, officiating rewards that. And... You know, officiating rewards people basically just falling down um, with offensive fouls. You know, I like I think your your block to charge ratio or your offensive to defensive foul. There should be more defensive fouls than offensive fouls nine times out of ten because. If you're getting more offensive fouls, that means players, in my opinion, are going to be less likely to drive, less likely to be aggressive on the offensive end, and I think that's bad for the game. And again, I think there's a lot of dishonesty in the game that is being rewarded right now on the men's side and the women's side. Iowa is one of those teams that play like that, but they are not alone. I think it's an issue that college basketball as a whole has to figure out. before you know things get worse, I, I just—it's it, something that needs to be reckoned with.
1: Yeah, there's a big time consistency issue across the board right now. Talking about the the men's side, I can't believe you didn't bring up Texas-Purdue, where Purdue yeah. went to the line, gosh, like forty something times almost. Uh, and Texas had like 10 or 11 free throws. There's just a problem with consistency. And on the men's side, Purdue is a team that officials have struggled with all year because of the size. Uh, people have really, really struggled. I don't know how this is a problem now because I don't remember it being a problem. But officials, for whatever reason this year, are regularly struggling to figure out how to call games that involve Zach Eadie. Uh, that's like kind of the main, you know, culprit of a lot of the stuff because, you know, he's seven foot four, but yeah, there's a really big time consistency issue, um, on both sides across the board. It kind of, it really does stink that like one of the, the two greatest sporting events of the world are being like kind of marred a little bit, but I do agree that like we have yet to see officiating completely like an outcome. Like even the TCU Arizona, they went to overtime. Like that, both teams had an no opportunity there with five minutes on the clock. Um, but yeah, I'd say that we're sorely lacking from a uh, consistency standpoint, and I'm my fingers are crossed that things um, don't go further haywire.
0: Well, and then you think back to the state tourney. I think for for Nebraska, like high school basketball, even at that level, I personally think that that tourney was officiated better than what we've seen over this last week, and. Look, there's plenty of those officials that I've had call games and seen them officiate games that I have had issues with how they've called games. It, I, I think, again, like it just comes down to not rewarding dishonest play, basically. And they, they did a very good job of that, I think, at this state tourney. There was a lot there's a lot of flopping because I think during the regular season, players learned that if I flop, I'm going to get calls. And that continued. They didn't get those calls in the postseason. Um, and so I think that's a good job. My only question is like, why? Why? Why do we officiate postseason and regular season differently? You know, uh, especially in regards to that. And and so, you know, there's that there's that whole level of debate that I think kind of people just kind of forget about after a while. Um, and so we'll see, we'll see. Um, but there, there was a lot of internet outrage there. Uh, let's flip the page here to Nebraska men's basketball, not playing in March, but still making a couple of headlines here and there. So there have been a number of departures. Uh, no, one, one addition, one addition, one major addition. Uh, but we'll give you the departures first. Bryce McGowan's, no surprise, officially announces he's going to the NBA draft. Good for Bryce. Uh, we wish Bryce the best of luck. Um, i Oh be ca- <laughs> Gosh, that that's funny because that just reminded me of a of a
1: funny Twitter um, <laughs> of a really funny Twitter exchange between happening in LSU between oh, okay. uh, a uh, a a women's basketball beat reporter um getting in a Twitter argument with an older um journalist on Twitter that got mad because at the end of the season press conference after their last game for LSU he thanked Uh, The student journalist thanked uh, Kim Mulkey and the players for a great season, and this older journalist went to Twitter and said, note to student journalists, when you are given a press credential to cover a sporting event, you are no longer a student. You are working media. So at a postgame press conference, you don't thank the players at the podium for, quote, what y'all did for the program at the school. And he's, getting, ra- so he's getting ratioed, and it's yeah, quite hilarious. Deservedly so. Um, but that's just funny because that's what that reminded me of. I'm like, how dare you? I'm going to Big J and say, yeah. you can't say that. No. But I, I echo those sentiments for sure. Like, Bryce did a lot. You know, the season wasn't probably what he had envisioned uh, yes. before coming here. But he was still able to accomplish a great deal. Uh, while I'm on the subject, he was objectively robbed of Big Ten freshman oh my gosh. of the year. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I I do wish him. I will echo that. I wish him the best of luck. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where he lands. I know that right now he's projected towards the end of the first round, but with a strong combine, might be able to vault himself into lottery considerations. So well, and then you even think forward of, to that
0: for sure. You even think of, again, like we've brought up, you know, multiple times this year over the course of this discussion about Bryce and where does he go. We we brought up Delano Banton multiple times, and Delano was. You know, on nobody's draft board. Yeah, and then he had a really good combo. He got wraps. drafted
1: higher than Luka Garza. <laughs> yeah, and
0: it significantly boosted his stock. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Bryce moves on. Uh, Doc Sadler, his position has been eliminated. So, Doc Sadler, the special assistant to the head coach, he is moving on. And then, of course, this is probably the biggest departure in terms of the future of the program. And Matt Abdel-Massi, um, Fred Hoiberg's longtime friend uh, and, and head recruiter. Uh, He is moving on. So the guy in charge, really, of roster composition for the most part on this team, he is no longer a part of the program. That one's interesting to me to see how that will affect recruiting, uh, the guys who have already committed, or the guys this team has already spent time investing in recruiting uh, down the line. So there are your departures. The big addition, Sam Griesel comes down from North Dakota and uh, North Dakota State University and uh, ex-Lincoln East. Uh, grad, and he has one year of eligibility left. Really, really strong player. High character sort of player. Uh, I believe could be very well running the uh, point duties next year.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I really like Greasel's game. Watched a lot of him. Uh, I mean, even from you know freshman year, he got great run at an, on a North Dakota State team that was in the tournament. Uh, Really shifted his role a little bit from more of a forward to more of a guard. Um, Played in 25 games last year. Overcame sort of a scary health scare towards the beginning of the season to really put a productive campaign together, ranks 320th nationally following the season in offensive rating, which kind of seems like a low number, but when you think about the thousands of players playing Division I basketball, to be in the top quadrant of that in terms of how you're you know, rated offensively is always a good sign. In conference play, uh, that number, that 116.5 offensive rating, ranks 16th nationally per Ken Palm, which is almost an even better statistic to use because by that time he was really uh, in the full swing of things. Super utilized, very high usage, but also very efficient. Um, great numbers in, in rebounding rate, in assist rate, in getting to the line. I mean, his 60.9% free throw rank is first. Um, that ranks, there's a big one by that on Ken Palm. I don't know if that's first nationally or first on the summit, but he does a lot of the things that a Fred Hoiberg guard does um, needs to be good at. You need to be good at getting to the line. You need to be able to handle the ball well and not turn it over. You need to be maybe relied on to be a little bit heavier usage. Um, And he can shoot well because he... (laughs) Again, in conference, shooting the ball 46.3% from three doesn't take a bunch of them, uh, but he does a lot of things really well. Big body, super physical, um, plus defender will be able to sort of handle that on-ball defending duties. Um, you know, it remains to be seen what will happen with Bryce's brother, Trey, but you bring in another guy that's going to be able to defend the point like that, it's a really, really good signing. It's it's a necessary one. Good on, you know, Fred Hoiberg for making that an emphasis and keeping an in-state guy here the second Go around, um, and yeah, uh, really excited to see um, that fit moving forward. There are a couple of other interesting transfer portal pieces too. Uh, one of which, Donovan Williams from Oklahoma State, right. uh, who is a Lincoln, a uh, Lincoln, Lincoln Nor- Northstar, Lincoln Northstar guy um so that's another uh that's that's another one yeah, that I you thought know, there was no,
0: another piece that was floating out there too that it, could be interesting and
1: and donovan williams of course was an original nebraska commit but right you know no matter what ends up happening there will there will be another transfer portal move or two i can i can almost guarantee it right
0: yeah i i think we'll see a departure to Yeah, uh, ed andre that was another one edward uh, andre yes, last yes. night uh was announced officially that he's in the transfer portal so uh nebraska's backup center moves on that's interesting too because it's You know, what does that say? Does that say Derek Walker's sticking around? Um, You know, does that say, like, there's some reading into that, I'm sure we'll give us some more news later this week. Uh, Sooner than later, we'll hear what, you know, Trey McAllens and Derek Walker are doing. Um, Those are probably the two biggest names, I think, um, you know, to watch for Nebraska in terms of key cogs for next year.
1: Yeah, it'd be great to keep both. Uh, with the Eduardo Andre news, Nebraska's front court next year is projected to be pretty loaded. Um, you bring back Wilhelm Breinbach, who had a really strong freshman campaign before getting injured. Ole Cornetz, um, he didn't really see much run, but that's a guy that basically just guy. sat and developed for a whole year. So I'm really curious to see with you know, this, this track record of quote-unquote sit-out guys having an impact in year two. I'm really curious to see the developments he takes. And then, of course, you bring in a proven at junior college level, level center, a uh, big explosive guy like Blaise Keita. So um, there's a lot of mouths to feed in that room currently. You bring back Derek Walker into the mix, and it makes sense that there is an odd man out. And it's a bummer because Eduardo Andre really did take some strides this year. His paint defense in particular improved a lot. Um, so I'm really rooting for him. I think that, you know, I don't know where his best chances of success will be. Maybe it's transferring down, but he definitely is a guy that could be a pretty dominant player um, at the level or at the you know the conference he decides to go play in. So that's a bummer, but there will be a lot of mouths to feed in that, that right. front
0: court. Right. Right. And, and so again. That brings up the same question with Derek Walker. What's What's he doing? Uh, he's currently, I think, he's currently working on a master's. I think right now. I can't remember if he's in the second year of that master's uh, or the first. But yeah, uh, he's working on that currently, um, and so we'll see. That plays a role too. So um, a lot of a lot of key places, and then again, too, who replaces Abdul Massey? That's That's the biggest. That's another big looming question. Excuse me for the coaching staff. Do we find out by the Final Four? Um, you know, when do we when do we piece that together? Yeah. Uh, do we see Armand Gates move on? Yeah, it's uh, you know, help. Coach Gates, his brother, uh, just accepted the head coaching job at Missouri. So do you see Armand Gates leave this staff? So there's there's still some plenty. There's already been plenty of shuffling, and I think there's plenty of shuffling yet to come. Again, the Abdul Massey thing is just interesting to me because, you know, generally, Fred Hoiberg has not enjoyed recruiting. I mean, that is why he has basically delegated that entirely to Abdul Massey. Now, of course, he has to, there's, he's involved, but a lot of, you know, a lot of that work was Abdul Massey's. So, you know, I think for me, the question is, is that the sort of, you know, assistant coach that Fred hires, you know, a right-hand man, recruiting kind of guy, or does he get more involved with it than he has been in the past? And again, a lot of this is just sort of the way things are perceived externally, but, you know. That, to me, is is also an interesting domino that we have yet to see fall, and you would guess it would fall by the end of the month.
1: Right. You you would have to expect that, right? And the interesting thing about Abdelmasy in particular is that, like, him and Fred have spent a lot of time together. Right. Like, you know, he's kind of been like the quote-unquote, you know, recruiting guy um, for Fred um, these last couple of years uh, at, mo- at both of his destinations, at Nebraska and Iowa State. So, you <sighs> – it's just interesting because now, like, you don't really know what ne- direction Nebraska is going to go in, really, which is really ex- – it's it's exciting. It's a little scary. Um, but there's a lot of different avenues. Um, you know, you could just – I don't know. I mean, it's like – Will Fred take more on in his responsibilities, and you know, hire someone to be more of an ancillary character, or does he want to bring in someone that is going to like go back and be like that Matt Abdelmasi like too? So you know, Nebraska has a lot of different avenues it can go. You would hope that's cleared up by the Final Four, because really, once the college basketball season comes to a close, uh, you start to you start to see like a lot of uh, pieces move as it pertains to players entering the transfer portal and stuff. So. Yeah, I it's it's tough, but there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of excitement. You, Trev basically gave it seems Trev Albert basically gave Fred Hoiberg like the Scott Frost speech. Like, yes, you need to make some changes to your coaching staff. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens from there.
0: And the other thing that's interesting to me in that sector too, I, I wonder how much outside influence affects the teams. Uh, recruiting mentality. You know, th- I think there's been for a long time in f- on the football side a clamoring for, uh, you know, for in-state recruiting. And it- it's not to say – I, because I- Nebraska went in on Isaac Trout. He wasn't inter- interested. Uh, I- I- I'm i guessing they perf- – I- I'm trying to remember back how hard they pursued Chucky when he was, you know, here. I think Chucky made it somewhat clear at the outset now that Tim Miles wasn't there that he wasn't interested. Um. But you know it, it'll be interesting to see if they try to do a little bit more of a dedicated local focus on some of that recruiting. And it, of course, you know you've seen you know coach um, Loneser uh, yeah. I, I think I'm I'm mispronouncing his name brutally, and I <laughs> and I apologize. But um, you know the coach they've they've put some interest in guys like Kale Jacobson from Ashland Greenwood. Um, you know some of the lo- lower you know flying under the radar guys in this state. Um, So they've they've shown some interest there just in terms of putting coaches in gyms in the state recently. But it'll be interesting to see if there's an increase in that and a shift in mentality towards, hey, we can recruit some of these local guys a little bit harder.
1: Right, especially after seeing how many uh, Nebraskans uh, slash former Nebraska players um, made the NCAA tournament this year um, and had impacts on their respective teams. You would think that they're Probably needs to be more of an emphasis on trying to get guys in state. The transfer portal is important too. Um, that's never going to go away because that's who Hoiberg is as a coach. Uh, but you'd have to think there's a little bit more of an emphasis as well on uh, on getting some more in-state recruits,
0: quality yes. in-state recruits. Yes, indeed. Now we've. This is probably the longest opening segment ever. In fact, we may just have two segments. <laughs> we may. You know what? Not really live radio. But somewhat live radio. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll take a short uh, period of time. Actually, I'm going to shuffle. I'm shuffling things around from what we had planned. So we're actually actually going to close the show talking about college basketball and the NCAA Tourney. But coming up next, softball and baseball discussion. Husker Baseball opens conference play this week with Michigan, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Softball in action as we record this today on Wednesday. They are actually playing today uh, against Stanford. Uh, on Wednesday, and then they also have games this weekend. So we'll discuss all that coming up next here on Scarlet Fever. Welcome back, folks. Scarlet Fever. Time to talk a little Husker baseball and softball as Nebraska baseball they face off uh, against Michigan this week in a three-game series to begin conference play all at Haymarket Park. And then the softball team, they play Stanford. We report this today on Wednesday. You guys will be listening to this on Friday or later. And uh, the softball team, 19 and 9, they've already played. They have played a ton of games. Yes, they have. I mean, that is, I mean, baseball's played 19. So that's as many – the baseball team has played as many games as the softball team has wins at this point. 19-9, the record for the softball team. Pretty solid start uh, to the year. Uh, They're coming off uh, a solid day at the Rock Chalk Challenge, or rather, solid several days. Uh, They win all four games against Tulsa and South Dakota, so two each there. Uh, And so today they get Stanford, ranked team, Uh, As we record this today, that starts at 4 o'clock. And then they also get Michigan this weekend, but they're going on the road. Uh, One of those games is actually going to be on FS1. So that's pretty cool. 5.30, FS1, uh, Nebraska, and Michigan. So really good start to the year for the softball team. And uh, guess what? Billy Andrews, still really good. Uh, Man, the chart that they put out for the graphics team to illustrate how exactly good she is... Um, that was pretty cool. Loved the Wii Sports thing. I think that was. I'm trying to remember the guy's name. He's really good. He's he's one of the lead creatives there. But uh, Billy Andrews hitting 415 on the year, 39 hits, 16 home runs, 35 RBIs. Look, replacing Tristan Edwards was going to be really hard for this softball team. I mean, again, you talk about someone who they the opposing teams would rather hit by pitch or intentionally walk. More so than anything else. Her on-base percentage was insane because of it. It's a hard bat to replace. But Andrews in her sophomore campaign is doing almost everything she can to match that production.
1: Well, she set the sophomore home run record with, like, Half of the season left. Like, that's insane. 16 home runs in 28 games is just nuts. And the fact that there's so much of the season to go, we could very realistically see Billy Andrews approach, like, 30 home runs this season. Like, maybe even more than that. Uh, Her start to the season has been absolutely phenomenal, picking up um, from where she started last year off i hadn't seen the graphic so i went to look at it and it is pretty awesome uh (laughs) that's pretty good um good good piece of content there but i mean you know this 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 team is they look good they're already approaching last season's win total too i know the whole last games caveat, but I mean to to have such a, a stark winning record is always or a stark record, um, positive record is always a good thing at this point of the season. This game against Stanford tonight should be a pretty good test. Uh, it seems from you know the you know a surface level analysis of Nebraska's season that the team's been able to kind of handle the teams. It it probably is better than on most given days and should be a little bit of a struggle when when you have to step up in class of it. So this this opportunity with Stanford tonight should represent a really good um, just test and see uh, where this team is at as it enters Big Ten play. And, you know, who knows? This team looks very, very capable with the way Olivia Farrell's been pitching uh, and how, you know, Billy Andrews and the rest of the offense really uh, has been hitting the ball. So, I mean, this team definitely has the capabilities to make some noise as conference play approaches. And I'm really, really fascinated to see um, how tonight and then on top of that, how the weekend goes against Michigan because that should be a pretty – I don't know much about Michigan softball. I imagine they're good if they're getting a nationally televised game. So I'd imagine that would be a really nice test for Nebraska as well.
0: Well, again, Northwestern is arguably, I would say, the best team in the Big Ten. Well, in terms of their non-conference record, they certainly are 19 and four on the year. So Nebraska, in terms of non-conference record, they're middle of the pack at 19 and nine.
1: Michigan is 13th in the NCAA college softball poll.
0: There go. Yeah, yeah, and North and Michigan, Western's eighth, and and Michigan at 18 and six. That's a big challenge. So you know this team is going to get the test that they've been looking for. I think, um, Courtney Farrell or Courtney Wallace. I combined two a uh, first <laughs> name and a last name. Courtney Wallace, 3.64 ERA. Olivia Farrell, 2.35. Farrell's record is 10 and four. Wallace is nine and four. So yeah, it's it's the biggest, arguably one of the bigger tests of the year is coming up this week with number thirteen Michigan. And then as I look through the rest of the roster, you know, you know this this Stanford game as we record this today uh, would be, I I think, in terms I think this would be the first ranked opponent uh, on the schedule because they were going to play Arkansas. Yeah. And then that that got wiped. So today, kind of a big test, big week for the softball team. Next week they get Creighton and then Rutgers. Uh, at home so you know next week shapes up I think pretty well for them overall but a good start to the year and now you get into conference play we'll see what happens and now as we flip over to baseball and not so good start to the year eight and 11.
1: Oh, baseball 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 uh I don't really know I mean where where to start I mean you have the cool little stretch of the back-to-back walk-offs against uh, the last game of the series against New Mexico State. Uh, you had a walk-off against Omaha in there as well. Um, and then the first game of the series against Corpus Christi, and then things just unravel again. I mean, to me, the, I mean, there, there's just been these stretches where they're unable seemingly to put, you know— enough of a consecutive stretch together, even when you know you have this great four-game winning streak starting with that walk-off against Omaha, you win both games against New Mexico State, and then you have that awesome come-from-behind 13-12 to gutsy win over Corpus Christi, and then things immediately fall apart again. So I, I just don't understand what the issue is in putting together a little bit more consistency than what we're seeing there are a couple problems I mean at least from like I'm not watching all these games obviously but starting pitching is still a huge problem uh plate discipline is still a huge problem from what it seems there's not enough timely hitting in too many strikeouts and the errors are still a problem uh, whether that be feel in the field so that's just what I think but like I mean just what's going on here (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, it. so I, I think, and I think I described it to somebody else, you know, you talk about firing on all cylinders. This team currently is firing on no cylinders. Uh, and, and it's, I don't think it's ever been this year where te- the team fired on no cylinders in one game uh, until Texas A&M Corpus Christi on Sunday where they lost 21-4. to Will Bolt called it arguably one of the most uh, embarrassing things he's ever been a part of. Um, but look, I mean, you look down the rest of the schedule, like, you think about all these games uh, – you know, pitching works, but the offense can't get it going. Or the defense is there for one game, but, and the bats kind of are, but you give up, you know, 12 runs. And that's the game they won against Texas A&M Corpus Christi, but they could have easily lost it. So, like, that to me is the thing when you look down all of these games, is nothing has, apart from, you know, perhaps a 12 to 6 win over New Mexico State last Tuesday, there's not been a time this year where every part of this team is working, and you know whether that's pitching defensively out in the field uh, or, or at the plate. And, and so this week, it's huge because Michigan is a good team. Michigan and Nebraska, I mean, these are the two teams that played last year in the final series of the regular season to determine the Big Ten crown. Now you start the year off with this team. Arguably, Michigan is probably one of the favorites to win it this year. Maryland is up there. Indiana is going to probably compete, I think. Iowa has a good chance to compete so so this is a big this is a big game this is a big series in a lot of ways and it stinks that the South Dakota State game that was going to play be played today on Wednesday uh, as we record this was going to be can- was going be played that now that that game is canceled, you lose an opportunity against a team that is six and 12 that is one and four against the big ten and is really just not the South Dakota team has not been good this year. So you, you lose a chance to kind of get right. Before Michigan, even though you would expend some arms in terms of pitching, yes, you just played seven games in eight days, but you know you you lose a chance to get that Texas A&M Corpus Christi taste out of your mouth, and so that is unfortunate, I think, for the for this group. And so now they have to bring it against Michigan, and we'll see if they can. Friday, first pitch. Saturday, two, excuse me, two o'clock, and then Sunday at eleven are your times for this week.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a huge opportunity. I mean, you would have liked, as we approach Big Ten play now, you would have liked Nebraska to be in a little bit of a better spot. I mean, it's, it's kind of Big Ten or bust now. I mean, the, the record, the non-conference record just isn't good enough to justify anything, you know, in terms of an at-large bid. Uh, Nebraska's got to take care of business, and it needs to find its identity, like, now. Uh, right. Because, you know, anytime you come off of a loss that's that devastating, it's 21-4 to 4 is... You would have liked that opportunity against South Dakota State to get yourself right, but, I mean, you know, maybe some time to let that thing really, really sit wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And for things to really set in, like, okay, guys, like whatever happened in the off offseason, uh, you know, leading up to the season, like none of that's been realized. It's time to buckle down and get some, put some wins together in Big Ten um in order to kind of salvage the season a little bit. Um, It's not going to be easy. The Big Ten is still, you know, it's good. It's not, you know, the most overwhelming baseball conference in the world, but this is a really big opportunity. You have Michigan at home. Uh, you don't, Maryland's not on the schedule, if I'm seeing that correctly. So that's another Big Ten uh, mm. contender that you avoid. Um, and Iowa's at home, so you have these opportunities in front of your fans at Haymarket Park. Uh, and Nebraska needs these, and a series. Nebraska needs a series win this weekend in the worst possible way.
0: Yeah, they do. And then again, now you got to find a way to solidify that lineup. You yeah. know, that, that's the biggest thing. Because they haven't been able to solidify a lineup and get something that they consistently think works, whether it's starting pitching or the batting order, you know, all year long. And so now you really have now that you're getting into conference play, well, you gotta find something that works and solidify um, and, and build some consistency. And, and so it's a big chance to do that this week. So there you go. There's your outlooks. Michigan for both softball. Oh goodness, I just. Tongue twistered myself on the word softball. But uh, both softball and baseball this weekend. Softball heading up to Ann Arbor. First game of the year. Uh, first game of the series is on FS1 on Friday. And then on the flip side, baseball. They get Michigan at home this week uh, in their conference play opener. Uh, Friday and Sunday games are on the Big Ten Network. Saturday at 2 o'clock, that game is on Nebraska Public Media. There's your outlook on that, and we'll end the show with a little bit of a fun debate on the Big Ten and the NCAA tourney, coming up next. All right, folks, welcome back to Scarlet Fever, final episode of uh, our, our show, back here after about three weeks, three weeks, two weeks, because we lost an episode, we recorded an episode. Then it got corrupted, and we lost it. Then sick, slash, uh, slash uh, state basketball tourney, then spring break. So here we are, and uh, it's time to get into a little bit of an interesting debate. We talked a lot about this in the first round, second round of NCAA attorney games this last week, but Big Ten, nine bids this week, and only two advance to the Sweet, Sweet 16. That's Purdue and Michigan. And that means that over the last year... There have been 18 Big Ten bids. Three of those 18 bids have made it to the second weekend of the Sweet 16. And so that's spawned a lot of debate. A lot of debate about the Big Ten and why the Big Ten can't get it done in the postseason. I don't know where I... No, I do know where I sit on this. My my thought is... I think a lot of this discussion is ridiculous. But I, I would be interested to hear what your take is. Then I can come back and kind of because uh, I think you're gonna come down somewhere a little bit different, I think than I am.
1: Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big 12 boy. I'm a big 12 fan. I think that the big 12 is the best college basketball conference in America. Um, I've been proven right, <laughs> at least a little bit so far. Yep. Uh, I mean, TCU put up a great fight against Arizona, but they dismantled Seton Hall in the first round, which you know Seton Hall's motivation for that game is kind of somewhere up in the air with their coach basically having one foot out the door. Uh, Texas Tech is putting together a nice tournament run. I think they've got a great shot to get by Duke um, this weekend, which will be a great game. Kansas, of course, Kansas avoided the Creighton stumbling block. Um, Texas beat Virginia Tech who many pegged as a trendy 6-11 upset. Uh, The Big Ten went undefeated in the first round. There wasn't a Big or Big 12 team that lost. And then, of course, we have Iowa State going on this incredible run to the Sweet 16, yep. and I think they've got a pretty good chance to get by Miami in one I of agree. the games I'm most looking forward to this weekend because that'll be very balanced. So I'm a Big 12 fan. Uh, the only bummer probably let down thus far of the Big 12 was Baylor, but Baylor was also very, very injured um, coming into the tournament without one of their better guards and without their big man. The Big Ten is another—it's it's an interesting story to me because I think a lot of the Big Ten's struggles in this tournament is draw-dependent. So I'm just going to break this down quickly. Michigan State drew Duke. Like, that's just—that's just kind of sucks. You, you get past a good Davidson team, and you have to go up against— a really good Duke team. That's just kind of like the nature of the draw. Michigan State was never going to beat Duke. Uh, it would have been great, and they played Duke very well, and they should be commended for that, but that's just a really difficult draw. Illinois, you play a Houston team that is ranked like second on Ken Palm and second on Bart Torvik. That should is not a five seed. Houston is not a five seed. Illinois got a little bit unlucky with their draw. Michigan's in the Sweet 16. Michigan uh, overcame a really hot Tennessee team. Yeah, they they had
0: they had arguably one of the more difficult draws of anyone.
1: Yes. Um, Colorado State is interesting because Michigan was actually a betting favorite over Colorado State. Uh, but getting by a hot team in Tennessee is no easy feat. Michigan should be commended for that. Ohio State beat Loyola Chicago in a game that was another trendy 7-10 upset pick, um, put up a valiant fight against Villanova. That's an unfortunate draw. Villanova's... A very good team. The Iowa thing was funny to me as an Iowa hater. I picked Richmond. <laughs> uh, huh. I manifested that right from Sunday night. I thought that was an Iowa team that was ripe for the picking after a really good run of the Big Ten tournament. We've seen that. It's kind of been a March Madness trend where the teams that aren't expected to make deep runs in the tournament and do go on and win it kind of struggle early in March. We saw it with uh, Indiana bowing out to St. Mary's after making a spirited run of the Big Ten tournament but they did win a play-in game uh, you see it with Virginia Tech losing to Texas in the first round, you see it with Tennessee losing early as well uh, and then you have Wisconsin and Wisconsin was badly injured, Johnny Davis looked like maybe at 60% in the second half of that Iowa State game and Chucky Hepburn got hurt as well, so yep. I think that there's also like an unfortunate set of circumstances that plagued the Big Ten um, going into this tournament being unfavorable draws um, bad injury Luck or teams just simply out of gas. Uh and that does I mean it is a bummer um because there's that narrative, that undying narrative for the Big Ten just consistently struggles. And you know, you can probably look back and make these excuses most years. I don't know what needs to be done to fix it. I found the tweets like, hey Kevin Warren, fix this. Why isn't the Big Ten better? And I'm like, what can Kevin Warren do? Right. Uh so I I I find that I do find that a little hilarious, but I just don't know what needs to be done. I mean, it's hard to get rid of of that narrative, no matter how true or false it may be. Um, but it does kind of damage the Big Ten's reputation a little bit. I think that's fair to say. Um, I, so, I don't here's, know. here's
0: where I disagree.
1: I just think it's a little bit of a bummer, especially this year with tough draws, because I think yes. Illinois and I think that um, – where's the other? Illinois and I think um, – was my th- Illinois and I think Michigan State definitely got the short end of the stick, especially Illinois. Illinois got hosed. That's a team, yeah, they had some uh, shooting deficiencies, um, but Houston is not a 5 seed. Houston should have been a top 4 seed, and Illinois should have not had to play them all together.
0: I, I So I think when I look at, you know, the Big Ten this year, I, I, last year— Last year was a unmitigated disaster for the yeah. Big Ten. I mean, I, I don't think you can look at it any other way. But to say that this year— Last year was worse, I think, for the yeah, record. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because, look, I think now that we can look back at things with, you know, 2020 vision, I I think it's pretty clear to me that the Big Ten this year, while it is more competitive top to bottom than I think it was a year ago— uh, I think there are more teams in this whole league that were that were good. I think as as a whole, the conference is worse than it was last year. I, ju- I just think it is yeah. outright. I think it's worse. I agree with that. N- you know, I don't think it is crazy that Illinois got bounced in the second round. I don't. I I really don't. I don't. I don't think it is at all. They've been such a streaky team. They've been up and down all year. I like them at a lot at different points, and they just didn't close the year well. Pretty similar to last year, but. Again, like, them losing when they did last year is way, way, way worse than this year. Like, oh, the, the, yeah. the idea that last year's team didn't make a Final Four, basically, and did not make the Elite Eight is, is crazy. So, you know, to me, that is the bigger issue. That is a bigger deal. Last year was a much, much more of a travesty than this year was because the conferences was not as good. And so I think it's trendy for people to say that, that to say that what what's the Big Ten doing in the postseason? Well, the thing is, you're going to get nine bids of teams that are going to get. I think this year I, we're definitely a lot more of them were lower seeds uh, than a year ago, and so you like comparing last year and this year is just apples and oranges, I think. And so like I think if you took last year's Illinois team, last year's Purdue team. Um, I w- I wouldn't say last year's Wisconsin like like last year's Illinois and la- and this year's Purdue are probably the two best teams, really from that Big Ten conference. Yeah. And Purdue's you know, gonna be
1: in the Elite Eight. Purdue's probably be probably gonna Unless be in the they Elite lose Eight, St. Peter's, yeah.
0: which I'm rooting for.
1: But Purdue's probably Purdue c- probably is gonna make the Final Four. Yeah. So there you go. There's your Big Ten success. I right.
0: Mean, it's like if like Michigan made the Elite Eight a year ago. So it's like, you know. I don't know how many teams you have to get into those later rounds to be have it considered a success. Again, last year was not a success. This year, kind of what I think people, most people expected. Like I think Michigan had a really, really solid Michigan say I think I had a really solid chance of beating Duke. I really did think that. Yeah. Um. They couldn't get it done. Coach That's K, fine. devil magic. You know, um, go against that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like again, comparing those two years is ridiculous. I think.
1: Yeah, last year was bad. I, I kind of have forgotten about how bad last year was for the Big Ten. Much worse. Um, Iowa losing early was bad as a two-seed with National Player of the Year, Luca Garza. Illinois, oof. Illinois, that early loss was terrible to Loyola. Um, but, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, each conference is probably only going to get one team in the Final Four, right? So as long as the Big Ten has a representative, and I really think it's – I know I'm probably going to regret saying this, but it, it's really going to be hard for you I, to I imagine think it's gonna be Purdue. anybody else coming out of that region but Purdue. I like North Carolina, and I like UCLA. I don't think UCLA is as good as last year's team, and I think North Carolina well, then, has some interior defensive flaws yes. that, they that uh, I mean, Armando Baycott's a good player, but I would take Travion Williams and Zach Eady over Baycott, and I think that... Jayden is one of the best players remaining in the tournament. So I think that's that true. At, at even at a baseline level, he's going to do enough to get Purdue into the Final Four. And as long as that
0: happens, I mean... Do we know anything about Jaquez for UCLA? Do we know where he's at?
1: Yeah, I saw him. He's going to play? I saw a video of him walking without a boot um, to the team bus. So I would assume that that's probably an instance in which he would play. <laughs> I find it funny that that UNC-UCLA game's in, in Philly. It's funny. Yeah. Uh, did they play this year?
0: That's a good question. I don't know. I, look, Checking I quick, Purdue, North Carolina I think, did. I think
1: Purdue, it'd be hard to see anybody else but Purdue coming out of that region. UCLA, I thought they played North Carolina, but maybe I'm thinking of a, a past year. Anyways, yeah, Purdue, it's going to be tough to it's gonna be tough to beat Purdue uh, in that region. So I think that the Big Ten is probably a lock to get a team in the Final Four, which, hey, progress.
0: Right. And When's the last
1: time the Big Ten had a Final Four team? Probably yeah, a couple tournaments, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, Michigan. I think it uh, was the last one.
1: 2019? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, there's our there's our thoughts on that. Uh, I just thought we'd end it with this, this little debate, and we yeah. did. It's <laughs> over. So, uh, there you go. There's Scarlet Fever for this week. So glad to be back with you. Uh, we'll be back next week. More baseball, more spring football as we're grinding towards uh, the spring football game. We haven't even touched on any of that uh, this week, and so... I will bring some more of that for you next week, along with baseball, softball, and we'll have the final four field set for college hoops. And so we'll talk about that and what's going to go down in New Orleans next week. So that'll do it for us here on Scarlet Fever. He's Landon Wirt. I'm Grant Hanson. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll be back next week.